Good morning. Um, it was great with the new service change and some of the things guys are doing. It was really cool to see in the 9 o'clock service to have more just time and the Word and the Spirit with each other afterwards. Uh, it was pretty awesome. It also means I can speak longer. Um, just kidding. I won't do that. Um, but maybe. Maybe. We'll see how I feel. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 7, uh, verses 15 through 20 this morning. So let's, uh, let's read that and see what the Lord has for us. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Let us pray. Father, Lord God, open our hearts and our minds to what you have for each of us, Lord God, individually, as a son or daughter of God, but also corporately as your bride. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, for we need you desperately. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first part we want to look at this in Matthew seven fifteen to 20 is this, this wolves. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets, for they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So this loving Jesus, this all-knowing Jesus, this kind Jesus says, watch out. And this is something that we need to take seriously. If you're like me and you kind of struggle with, a, with a, you know, you're super positive and kind of a bleeding heart, glass is always half full rather than glass half empty, you will struggle with this warning. And we want to look at that today. If you may be on the other side that you're a glass always half empty and you're kind of a Debbie Downer naturally, you get excited about rules, things like that, you might struggle with what the church has always struggled with is, is rather than seeing God change someone's life, we want people to go through a religious experience and go through the hoops and, and, and um, obstacle course that we would have someone go through. And we're going to talk about those, those two different understandings. But here in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, we see Jesus plainly, this loving Jesus who hung out with, with, with messed up people, say, watch out for wolves. And understand this, truth has nothing to fear. Truth is not afraid to be asked a question. It has nothing to hide. So we can ask questions, we can seek the Lord, we can make sure that something is from God or not. When I look back in my own life of how many warnings I have missed, and I look back at my past, and looking back at your past isn't always a bad thing. You don't want to look at it through the condemning spirit of the enemy, but through the redemption of God and also warnings of not to keep doing the same thing over and over again. In my notes, I have um, think before you speak or act, and I have a wrong bathroom and pregnant ladies. Let me explain this. I could have put many things, just, I mean, just a list of dumb things I've done. You know, years ago, going into the woman's bathroom accident, doing my business, and realizing I was in the wrong bathroom, right? Now, before I go into a bathroom, I always double check. I'm like, okay, men, right? Pregnant ladies. 
man, I'm just a listener when it comes to pregnant ladies. I don't tell you if you're pregnant. I don't ask you if you're pregnant. Why? Because I've learned. I've been wrong. Oh, you're not pregnant. My bad. And now I'm just like, man, just, man, you just tell me. You just tell me, right? Just learn. Uh, learned, um, just continue to learn the, the act of humility in college and in high school. I just kind of had this attitude that, uh, you know, big, bad, and tough, and, and no one could take me down, and I would leave my car keys uh, in my car because I literally was like, I dare someone to take my car and until someone did take my car. And had to, you know, tell the police and the insurance companies, you left your keys in your car and didn't expect, I'm like, no, I, I, yeah. Right? So there's warnings and they're important to look at. I, and, and you could too, just give a list of things of like, oh, man, hindsight is always 2020. And so the Lord here is giving us a warning. And I would say this as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, man, the enemy is after this next generation, just like he was after the generation before. And man, we need to wake up, right? Wake up in the, in the church, like, and, and not just because it's the day and time we're in. This is, this is from 2,000 years ago, too. The church needs to be diligent in, like, seeing that not everyone is who they say they are. And we need to even look at that through the lens of the gospel. I have a quote here from MTV from about 30 years ago. Now, MTV was, at one point, was a big deal. Now, it's like VH1. Like, some of the people are like, MT what? But there was a time when it was a big deal, and they said this. When dealing with a culture of teenage babies, they can watch TV, do their homework, and listen to music all at the same time. The strongest appeal you can make is emotional. If you can get their emotions going, make them forget their logic, you've got them. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds. We own them. And what's funny is this generation would say about the younger generation, like we would think this was written now. No, 1982. And Satan doesn't really change his ways. We think he does. He never rests, and he's always on the move. Praise God we have a Savior that warns us. Just watch out for these false teachings. Watch out for these wolves. They look so good, but inside, they look like they're a sheep falling after God, but inside, man, they don't want God, and they don't want you to want God. The outside of the cup, Luke 11, 39 to 40, when Jesus was asked a question, the Lord said to him, Now you then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? And this is our society. We choose leaders, our spouse, our workforce based on appearance more than character. Appearance matters. Attraction with your spouse matters. That's not how you should choose a mate. Single people, you look into who like the Lord's going to have you with. Understand this, um, and there's a warning from the Lord here. Looks, hair, and the waistline change. So if that's your main attraction to the future Mr. or Mrs. Wright, then you might want to rethink that. I was at Ozark Teen Challenge last night at a banquet, um, and I'm putting on some clothes from a couple years ago I had not tried on, and, man, I thought I was going to pass out. The waistline and the neckline had changed. I'm like, goodness gracious. Right? Those things are fleeting. 
Understand this, sometimes the most narcissistic person in the room looks like Mr. Rogers. Right? Oh, that looks so nice. They're just shy. They're just, no. Like, they could be the most narcissistic person. Stop looking on the outside only. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15 gives us similar warning. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Guys, this is why, like, as a Christian, you can't just automatically take the phrase, well, just do the right thing, and not know how you know what the right thing is. Or, well, just do what's loving, and not know what the God of the universe says is loving. So the, a, a tactic in 2 Corinthians is they would masquerade as people of righteousness when that's not their intentions of all. And I think the enemy tells us a lot of things, well, just do what's loving, and we don't even know what loving is is bad dudes don't walk around with a sign that says I'm a bad dude. It'd be great if they did. They don't. The devil doesn't come dressed in a red cape and pointy horns. He comes dressed as everything you've ever wished for. He masquerades. And when we're looking at this, we're looking at false teachings and false movements of God. And two things that we have to wrestle with is when someone talks about a different Jesus than the Jesus that's in the Bible. Not a loving God. Not a righteous God. Not a God that knows the difference between right and wrong. A chaotic God that doesn't have a form and a function and a process, yet the Bible explains him differently than that. We had to wrestle with that when we find that someone's talking about this Jesus, but it is nowhere found in Scripture He's talking about a different Jesus. Or, in a phrase that we say here a lot, is heretic hunters. This is the opposite side of it. Raise your hand if you know what a heretic is. Okay, it's a theological term. A heretic is someone that is on purpose misleading false teachings about Jesus, his kingdom, and his gospel. And so from the times of the apostles that came up with this coin, it's like, well, that's heretic teaching. The problem is we like to call everything heretic that we don't like, right? In fact, in the uh, reformation of the church throughout generations, each one would call the other one a heretic. And they would just kind of change which one was and which one wasn't. So we've got to be careful with that. There are two temptations or bents when we wrestle here. One is the bleeding heart that doesn't want to see things for what they really are. They're so nice. They have such a good smile. Fresh breath. <laughs> right? But they treat you bad. Doesn't sound like the good news when they talk about the gospel. The other bent is our, is our natural bent to want to see everyone as the bad guy. You just don't expect God to ever change anyone. Everyone's the bad guy. Everyone's evil. And it's really not based on Scripture. It's just what your bent or what your thing is. We have to wrestle with those things. Billy Graham said this, hot heads and cold hearts never solved anything. 
we just get upset. We just think everything's wrong and everyone's wrong. We don't go to Scripture, to the Spirit. Or we really just don't think there's such a thing as evil or false teachings. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And here's the thing. I think we can all struggle with itching ears. If you don't think you can stru- that you struggle with itching ears, like, come on. We, you're, you're human. We do. And I think we kind of read this the wrong way. For the time will come. The time has been coming for the last couple thousand years. Whenever the church gets off track, it's always because, well, how can I find someone or a translation that will tell me what I wish the Bible would say rather than what it says? This is nothing new. And we all struggle with it. Just like the most narcissistic person can look like Mr. Rogers. It's not just sometimes the liberal agenda. Sometimes it could be in the conservative agenda as well. The enemy knows what trips us and what tricks us. Three things we really need to look at is when just the lies that the enemy can bring in is when the gospel is changed. There's no really need for the gospel. The Word of God. I don't know how you can, and I've seen God do miraculous things in the Spirit. I don't know how you can know Jesus through the Spirit only and not fall in love with the Word of God. The two go hand in hand. The gospel, the word, and then the church. The greatest family ever known. Two or more gathered together in his name. And the body of Christ is endless. When those things, the gospel, is not as big as what it is. The word of God is just kind of a bunch of poetry that people came up with. And the church is not something sacred and powerful. And a community and family. And then we've missed it. I want to look at some things. And I I could put a a list and list of things of just lies that are are out there. Not just now. I mean, thousands of years of lies. But five that that I feel like, man, this is something that I see people wrestle with. So I'm going to have a a truth and a lie. The truth is I am crucified with Christ as a Christian understanding. The lie is be whatever you want to be. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. And Paul in Galatians, the apostle Paul says, I no longer live. Doesn't sound like sometimes Western Christianity or the Western world that we live in. Be whatever you want to be is the message and it's exactly what you can, in America, you can be whatever you want to do and ever whatever you want to be. And people are miserable because it's not true. And it's not just who we marry or sexuality or, or what's pleasurable and not. It can be even your, your career choice. I remember being called to the Lord and then he called me into ministry. And for about six years I said, nuh-uh. So I don't like pastors. I don't like ties. I still don't like ties. Right? And they're poor, boring, poor, and bad dressers. Lord, I have my standards. No, thank you. And the Lord just said, it's not, it's not your way. It's my way. 
And I write, a, I write a better book for your life than what you could ever hope or dream for. Trust me. Like that is the anthem for all believers, but the world says, be what you want to be. And Jesus said, nope, I killed that. I've got something better. Second lie and truth. The truth. We are new creations. The lie is you are who you are. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are who you are, is what the world says, is what society says. I remember years ago talking to a fellow teacher, and they were just talking about um, just all sorts of stuff in our world. And this good friend, she said, man, you just, you just are who you are. However you're born is how you're born. And for her, it wasn't just sexuality. It wasn't just attractions. It was much more than that, which is why we have to really guard against this, because there's some attractive things to our flesh that can sound good in that, depending who's in your circle, who you love, or what your own bents are. But we forget is that the gospel forgives us and transforms us and changes us. Because what she was also saying is once a thief, always a thief. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Just put them in prison. There's nothing that can be done for them. See, do you see the, the tactic of the enemy? It's not just what's popular right now or what pulls on my heartstrings or your heartstrings. If we can't be new creations in Jesus, then we've missed the gospel. And it's also why we don't have much hope for people. Well, God can change that, but what about this? Well, he changed you, he can change them. Another truth and lie, the third one. Truth is all must be born again. Versus God isn't that worried about sin. John 3, 3, and this was in reply to Nicodemus, says, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And that born again is what you hear when people say, I've been born again, I've been saved, I've been set free, I'm a new creation. All must be born again. There's no one that's good enough. All need the forgiveness of Christ for the transformation of the Holy Spirit and regeneration of your life. All must be born again is a truth. And yes, God is very much worried about sin. He, he hates it and he doesn't want it for you. Like this cross here, and I always point to it, is that at a crossroads, and we get to see God's love displayed, but we also get to see his sovereignty and justice. And we talk about the, the God of love, and he is. If he cares about that sin, then he has to care about that sin. If he loves you, then he's got to love that person, but it's one standard only through Christ, and all must be born again. There's no one good enough. There's no one bad enough that can't be found in Christ. And the problem is, is sometimes we just, I don't think we've seen how great his love truly is, but I also don't think we've truly compre can comprehend how evil evil is. We say a good God would do something about that, and he says, I did, I did. But your weight is just as bad, which is why you need Jesus. And when he takes that weight off of us, there's nothing like it. All must be born again. Fourth lie in truth. Truth, we are saved by grace. 
the lie, save yourself. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And see how these, these all compound on one another. All need Jesus. All can be a new creation. Such hope. We are saved by grace, not by what we think we can do. God isn't impressed how loud we yell this morning and how long the preaching is. He's impressed by a heart that says, I need you, Lord. It's nothing that I can do, but it's what you can do. Religion will say, just work harder and doesn't want to deal with the mess of, of what God does in our lives. The intellect in here will say, well, we'll just be smarter. We'll just be better. Look what we can do. Grace says, look what God already did. This gift that is free and is holy and is good. The fifth lie. The truth is only through Christ, only through Jesus. The lie is many gods in many ways. Just like what Pastor Clint talked about last week. There's one door, one road. John 14, 6, Jesus said this about himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 2,000 years ago, it was a teaching, and right now it's a teaching. Even in Christian churches, same God, different names, not true. One way, and it's through Jesus Christ, the holy name of God. As we looked at wolves, and they're real, and we need to wake up to them. They're not nice. They don't have good intentions. But the Lord doesn't just leave us with this warning. He leaves us with hope and discernment. So the second thing we want to look at this morning is fruit. 1 Samuel 16, 7. And this is when Israel is looking for a king. They want to be like everybody else. We still struggle with that, right? I just want to be like everybody else, right? just want to have what they have. I want to have all the good stuff. Well, in that, when we look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We're looking at fruit. Jesus looks at the heart, what he can do in the heart. All sin comes from the heart. We focus so much on the outside. We change the behavior, but we don't change the heart. And only God can change the heart. Then you're just going to go back to the behavior in time. Be behavior modification is a band-aid, sometimes needed. But it's not the healing that God promises. It's a heart thing. God is all about changing the heart. and He's the only one that can do it. You will know them by their fruit. Not by other things, how big their Bible is. Or their translation. Or how long or thick their beard is. I don't grow a very good beard, so I'm already out on that one. How short their hair is. How long the skirt is. How loud they yell in worship. They dance, hymns, how many miracles they proclaim. No. Jesus said there's, there's something in their heart and in their spirit that will produce some things that the enemy cannot lie about for long. This is the fruit of the spirit. 
And we see in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I firmly believe the enemy can fake all sorts of things. False teachings, false moves of God. It wasn't God, it was us moving. It was demonic spirits moving. Even, even healings. We see the scripture that the enemy could do some things. There's some power there. But not the fruit of the Spirit. Love over time. Joy. Peace. Patience. Man, I could take a dose of that. Kindness. It's fruit of the Spirit. Living a really messed up world needs a lot of kindness. Goodness. Just want to do good for the glory of God. Faithfulness. Right? It's like what we need in marriages. Right? Not someone's big bank account, but how about the gift of the Spirit of faithfulness? Gentleness. Man, we live in a world that's addicted. Self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Not only can we tell in leaders and in people of God, this is a fruit that we need to look at and see and examine, but it's also a promise for ourselves. Now, years ago when I was struggling with just lust and, and pornography, it's like thinking, man, when I'll just get old enough, I'll grow out of this. And looking at Galatians 5, 22, 23, realizing as a young man and a single man, I needed the spirit of self-control. There was no behavior modification that would work long enough. Just cycle after cycle after cycle. Anger, cycle after cycle after cycle. Anxiety, cycle after cycle after cycle. But the fruit of the spirit changes those. Sometimes that fruit starts out as a seed, and it starts out as a hope, and as a prayer, and as a faith, but it then produces a crop that changes all things. Theologian Richard J. Foster said this, the fruit of the Spirit is not push, drive, climb, grasp, and trample. Life is more than a climb to the top of the heap. See, God is in the sacred business, in the heart-changing business. We love the flashes. We love the hype. But no one stays long for that. Hype never changed anyone for long. But the spirit and word of God does. So we look at this this morning and we go, okay, Lord, man, this sounds really good. I want some fruit. This sounds good. Not only can we tell false teaching from good teaching and good leaders from bad leaders and good movements from bad movements, we can have this fruit ourselves too. Sign me up. So then how do we receive this? I want us to look at John 15, verse 4 and 5. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you Bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I am in him, 
he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So simple, it ticks us off. <laughs> right? I remember asking a mentor years ago, like, dude, how do you grow in God? He says, pray. Read your Bible. Right? Listen. Talk to God. And obey the Spirit. And obey the Word and watch what God will do. If, if I plant an apple tree, what should I get? Apples, apple trees that turn to apples, right? If I get something other than an apple tree, then what's the problem? It's not an apple tree, right? It's simple, right? Right? Lord, I need to go back to the source of your gospel, of your truth, of your goodness, of your redemption, and let you take out what needs to be taken out. Scripture talks about weeds that can come in. Rocks, not good soil. Absolutely. And would beckon us to go back to the gospel. Like, Jesus, I'm a sinner saved by grace that needs a holy God that loved me so much that he came down on earth and lived 33 years and died on a cross because God was that serious about sin, but he's also that serious about love. And he promises this fruit in me. It's not God that changes, it's us that changes. There's never a time, and this is a dangerous statement, and if you're going through a tough time, you might not like me right now, but that's okay. It's 100% accurate when we remain in God. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And his word never comes back void. The problem is, is we just take off too soon. We say we want God, but we don't. We say we want God, but we don't want his process of time. James 5, 7 and 8 says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And the book of James is talking about all trials and tribulations and stuff we go through and reminding us, just be patient, God didn't go anywhere. Abide in him, in his word, in his spirit, in his transforming power. Who are you to say that God's grace isn't enough for you? Who are you to say that God's grace isn't enough for someone else? Who are you to say that God's laws don't apply to everyone? He is the giver of good gifts and fruit. If he loved you enough to die on a cross for you, as wretched as you and I have been, then what audacity do we have to say, no, nah, he don't, doesn't have fruit for me. I'm just too bad. I'm just too imperfect. I'm just too much trouble for God. You see how selfish we can be in our thinking? Right? We think we're being so kind and, like, and, just, and, and humble maybe even, but it's not. It's really a lack of faith in God to move in your life and to move in other people's lives. Abide in him. And this is the greatest thing, that it's all on him. And he never runs out of love. He never runs out of courage. He never runs out of truth and righteousness and fruit for us. He's got a, like a whole kingdom full of it. And the encouragement today is that we would taste and see that he is good. And maybe you just need to be reminded, man, I just need to lean back on Jesus. 
And you'll abide in God. And watch what he'll do. Watch what you'll see. Watch what you'll experience. A couple questions as we close today. First question was, what is your measurement for truth? Is it your feelings? Is it your emotions? Is it what's popular? What is your measurement for right and wrong? I believe that there's a right and there's a wrong. I've done enough of life and seen others do enough of life of doing it on their own that it's important that we have a measurement of truth. That question leads to the second one. Are you walking in the discernment of the Spirit and truth? That truth is the Bible. The truth is the righteousness of God. His law is like gravity. Are you walking in the discernment of the Spirit? I don't know about you, but I can't live a day without that. I will make dumb, dumb decisions. I will do things that will destroy my life and wreck my life if I'm not walking in the discernment of the Lord that is available for all of us. And the last question, are you abiding in the Lord? Like, just like, Lord, fill me up. I'm just going to sit here in your presence. Are you abiding in the Lord, therefore also seeing a production of fruit? Simple math. Spiritual math. And he is the God that shows up. The challenge today Will you trust him? Will you, will you test him? The Lord tells us, man, trust me. He even says, test me in these things. But you got to abide in him first. If you guys can stand, we're going to close in prayer. In the back, um, we have communion that we encourage you guys to take. Um, and even grab some other people with you. And to take the elements is something that the early church would do the life of God that was given to us and the blood so that we could be forgiven and set free. There's also people that would love to pray with you as we just seek a holy God who has the greatest pleasure and desire to see you walk in the fruit and gifts that he has to offer. He is a good God. He is a righteous God. And he is here. Father, Lord God, we thank you That you, do, you, you love us enough to give us warnings. Maybe some of us today, this is a warning directly from the word of God and the spirit of God. It says, don't do that because it's going to kill you. Don't, don't open that because it's going to destroy you. Don't believe that teaching. You're too far gone. You're washed up. There's no hope for you. There's no future for you. Don't believe that. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to give us warnings about false teachings and wolves and sheep clothing. And God, also, you give us this great promise of hope of fruit. Fruit for discernment, but also fruit for ourselves. This invitation to more. These blessings. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You've come to give life and give it abundantly. God, would we just sit at your table of grace and goodness and receive all that you have and trust and taste and see. Father, would we abide in you today, trust in you today, and watch that you always show up.
And Father, the testimonies that we will hear of your goodness, would they last for an eternity? In Jesus' name.